You're listening to The 66, a podcast where we go through the books of the Bible one at a time. We read the text, we think about it, and then we apply it to our daily lives. I'm Andrew Kingsley here with Drew Kaiser, and today we are going to do our last episode on the book of Romans, and it's been a long time coming. Uh, If you're listening to these in real time, then you'll notice we haven't put out an episode in a few weeks. Uh, We have the holidays, and then the rush getting back in after the holidays, so we've been just a little behind on getting out this last episode. But we are going to get into it today, and we're going to be starting in chapter 14. We're going to cover the final three chapters of the book, and Drew has our outline for the last chapter. And, you know, with three chapters, we can't possibly read every verse, but I think that in the summary we give you, it'll give you a good idea of what all's going on in there. And we invite you to get your Bibles out and read those three chapters, maybe after this episode, so that you can you can uh, fully get the grasp of the end of Paul's letter here. Now, um, these, it, with the exception of the concluding matters in chapters 15 and 16, these instructions have to do with Christian living as the last several chapters have been. And in particular, Paul is addressing the problem that would surface in any congregation like the one at Rome, the differences that are being held between Jews and Gentiles, probably. Yeah. Um, people with different backgrounds, different points of view, and it's a great two chapters on how to handle opinions in the church. We talk a lot about how to handle doctrinal differences. That's a different thing from handling opinions in the church. There are two groups, and Paul categorizes them as the weak and the strong. Now, what I'm going to do, first of all, is I'm going to do an identification of the weak so we know who they are. They're mentioned in chapter 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So he identifies them in a number of ways. And I'll just give you um, a picture of what the weak member of the Rome congregation looked like in Paul's day. Uh, Number one, they only ate vegetables, according to verse 2. Number two, they esteemed one day as better than another, verse 5. So they celebrated certain religious holidays, is what it seems like. And number three, they could not eat meat or drink wine. That's verse 21, and it's assumed throughout this chapter in the next one. So who are these people? Well, it could be a Jewish element still trying to bind the law of Moses upon the others. Um, I lean more towards the second option, that these were Gentiles who feared, for example, contamination from meat that had already been sacrificed to idols. I know that element's out there because of the letter to the first letter to the Corinthians. Paul writes a whole lot about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And in First Corinthians chapter ten, right? Um, we don't know exactly who this was. Maybe it's a little bit of both, but we can say this: they were weak in the sense that they had a lot of scruples. They they maybe followed a more legalistic path concerning certain things. Okay, well, who are the strong? They're not mentioned as strong people per se until fifteen verse one, where Paul says. We who are strong, so Paul includes himself in this number, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. A brief summary of who the strong were. Number one, they could eat anything. Chapter 14, verse 2. Number two, they regard all days alike. Chapter 14, verse 5. And number three, Paul is one of them, as we just saw. Um, So, That's an identification of the weak and an identification of the strong. Um, You know, maybe in the think section or the apply section, I'd like to talk about weak members of a congregation from this vantage point in the modern day. See if we can do that, but I'm Mm going to save that till later. I want to move on now to Paul's instructions to these two groups of people. And the the first we'll handle the instructions to the weak. And here is what he says to the weak. Number one, don't 
pass judgment on your brother. Verse 3, he says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains, this would be the weak brother, pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So, it's wrong for a number of reasons to pass judgment. Um, First of all, God welcomes the strong, as we just read. He receives them. He accepts them. And to pass judgment on these kind of matters of opinion, right? Yeah. Yeah, that there is a room for judgment, Mm -hmm. but not when it comes to opinion, discretion. Um, Another reason it's wrong is that judgment should not be passed on the servant of another master. He says that in verse 4. You think about it. It was. It would be like um, you're working for this company, and this person is your boss, and you've got a boss from a totally different country comp- company <laughs> telling you what to do. That just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Number three, he has not been able to free himself. Uh, missed it. Number. Let me back that up. Number three, with regard to opinions, each is to be fully convinced in his own mind. In fact, at the end of chapter 14, Paul warns that whatever is not of faith is sin. And so these brethren who are weak, they weren't fully convinced that it was okay to eat meat in their society. They weren't right. fully convinced that they could treat every day the same. Yeah, and I think they're, the weak people here are people that don't either have as much knowledge or yeah, have as much new, faith. Or maybe they're I new think. converts. Which, yeah. You know, that's included in not having as much knowledge. Yeah, and I think when we get to apply, we might find out that we have, you know, we can all relate to these weaker Christians on some level. Oh, sure. In some regard. Definitely. Another problem with the passing of judgment is that when God is honored in matters of opinion, everyone is right who is doing that. In verse 6 of chapter 14, he says, The one who observes the day... Observe it. Observes it in the honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So it's not wrong if you're able to honor the Lord in what you're doing, whatever it is that you are doing. Kind of gets back into Romans twelve one and two a little bit that we mm-hmm. talked about a few weeks ago. And then finally, another reason is in judging another person, you're putting yourself in the place of God. So in this chapter, Paul warns them, or reminds them, rather, that all of us are going to give account of ourselves to God, verse 12 of chapter 14. So first of all, he says to the weak, don't pass judgment on your brother. Now here's the second thing that he says. He tells them to refrain from doing what they believe to be sinful. In verse 23 of chapter 14, he says, Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So you don't want to sin against yourself. You don't want to sin against God. It's not right for you to violate your conscience in that way um, Mm -hmm. or do something because everybody else is doing it um, because you don't want to be unpopular. And it's a pretty good rule for these kinds of matters of opinion to say whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Yeah. Yeah. And that tells you two things. Number one, get some faith. Make up your mind about controversial issues. And number two, follow your conscience or your faith. That's how faith is being used here, I think. Yeah, in and terms certainly of the conscience. a faith that is, and we, I'm getting ahead of myself and getting to apply, but the faith that is based in the Word of God also. Not the faith uh, that's course. just based in our own yeah. feelings and emotions, but that's, I guess, more for the last section. There's a, yeah. a sneak preview at section mm. three. <laughs> Tantalizing. The third instruction to the weak is that we should be fully persuaded or fully convinced. Verse verse 5 of chapter 14. It's kind of like the, the last illustra- um, instruction to the weak. Yeah. Now, when it comes to the strong, they have more instructions than the weak had. I've got five here to the strong. First of all, he tells the strong to welcome the weak. That's what we read a moment ago from chapter 14, verse 1. Right. Um. You know, and don't do this. Included in that is, don't welcome him so that you can quarrel with him over your differences of opinion. I really like that. Yeah, little he, qualifier on there. He, yeah, it is a qualifier because mm. he knows them, even though he hasn't been to visit them. Or he knows human beings, 
And he knows that there are going to be some who, well, yeah, I'll welcome him to a debate on this date. Yeah. And uh, I want everybody to see that I'm right and he's wrong. Mm-hmm. Paul says that's not why you welcome him. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Chapter 15, verse 7. Second instruction. After he tells them to welcome the weak, he tells them, do not despise the weak. I found it interesting in chapter 14, verse 3, that to the weak, he said, do not judge or pass judgment on the strong. To the strong, he says, uh, do not despise the weak. So a little different problem depending on who they are. Both would be bad. Number three, he tells them, do not put a stumbling block before a weak brother. Um, That's verses 13 through 16 of chapter 14. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Um, You know, the words there are interesting, particularly the word translated hindrance. It's from the word scandalon, from which we get our word scandal. And originally it had to do with a noose or a trigger on a trap. So he's saying, don't bait a trap for your brother. That's what putting stumbling blocks before them is. A fourth instruction, keep your faith between you and your God. Now this seems like an instruction that would resonate in today's society where people are so private about their religious opinions. Um, It's not exactly what Paul is saying. He just says this in chapter 14, verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Uh, So I've heard people say, you know, I have, they say, I have this, Um, opinion about this particular thing. I personally don't think it's controversial or wrong, but I know if I let it out in the open, it would cause a lot of division and controversy, so I keep it to myself. This is a person who is observing Romans 14, verse 22. Here's the last instruction given to the strong. Bear the failings of the weak. Chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Esteem others as more important than yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So Paul is saying, look, the weak are wrong on this opinion because he's calling their scruples, he's calling them failings. Mm -hmm. So they're wrong, but your job is not to straighten them out and get them to have the same opinion you have. Your job is to buoy them up in their wrongness. Their failings are going to cause them problems. You're going to need to be there for them to lean on whenever these problems surface. So that's the meat from our reading today. Let me just, as the book comes to a conclusion, before we take a break, just let our listeners know what happens in the rest of the book. Just, I'm not going to do much reading here. I'm just going to kind of summarize everything. Uh, in chapter 15, verse 14 and following, Paul, uh, he talks about his ministry, his ministry in writing, his ministry in his example. He says that he's proud of his work for Christ, which I think is great. He says that in chapter 15, verse 17. There's a certain kind of pride that's okay as long as it's in Christ. You know, mm-hmm. I'm proud because of what Christ has done for me. Uh, He speaks of his ministry with miracles in verse 19. Um, Now, he, with verse 22, he starts getting into his future plans. And basically, these are his plans. Paul is not writing this from prison. Romans is not one of the prison epistles. He's still a free man at this point. His plans are to go visit Rome. And while he is at Rome, he said this in chapter 1 too. He wants to enjoy their fellowship, be mutually encouraged by them, share with them a spiritual gift, probably imparting miraculous power to them. And then he wanted to be helped by them on his way to Spain. So that's the second part of his itinerary. After he goes to Rome, he wants to go from Rome to Spain. Why? Because Paul's strategy was to lay a foundation where none had yet been laid. Did I say that right? Sure. Foundation you lay no laid. Laid, laid. 
I'm the wrong Why? person to ask. <laughs> uh, the Put third down, thing placed. The third thing that he says though is he's first before he goes to Rome and Spain, he wants to deliver aid to the poor in Jerusalem. He's been collecting this for some time. You can read about that collection in the book of Second Corinthians, um, also in First Corinthians, uh, and he's been collecting from the churches of Macedonia, which I assume includes. Thessalonica and Philippi. He has this ready. It's time to deliver it and then come to Rome and be refreshed in their company. Now, so it's a one, two, three on the itinerary. First, go to Jerusalem, deliver the humanitarian aid to the poor. Number two, go to Rome and be helped on his way to Spain. But it never came about that way. If you read the book of Acts, you learn that what happens is Paul is arrested when he's there in Jerusalem to give out the humanitarian aid. And he makes it to Rome, but not in the way that he wanted to. Uh, when he, he, he went to Rome in chains after a long voyage, which included a shipwreck. And uh, we last see him under house arrest in Acts chapter 28. Uh, in chapter 16, you basically have three looks. Uh, look inward as he looks at um, the folks in the church at Rome. He greets some of them like Pris- Priscilla and Aquila, Phoebe... Uh, others, no, Phoebe is probably carrying this letter. Uh, he commends Phoebe, and then he starts greeting the people in Rome. Then you have a last look outward, uh, chapter 17, and uh, verse 17 and following of chapter 16, uh, where he basically, that means looking outside the church, warning them about obstacles, warning them about people in the church who need to be marked and avoided because they're false teachers, and then finally, a last look upward. This book ends with a beautiful doxology. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all the nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so as we come back to dig a little bit deeper and to think about what we've just read, as you said, Drew, in the first section, the meat of this section is on matters of opinion. It is on the difference in the weak and the strong here struggling over their opinions in the context about eating food that has been sacrificed to idols and also drinking wine. Which were defined by Paul here. And the day of the opinion. special oh, right. days. Yeah, and the Jewish festivals, most likely. Um, is what he means by special days. And so I think it's pretty easy for all of us to understand, well, there are things that are matters of opinion, and then there are things that are matters of salvation or matters of doctrine. For example, uh, baptism is a matter of doctrine. We can plainly read that baptism is is a part of the salvation process. Uh, multiple scriptures that point to that. Also, confession, that's a matter of doctrine. They are things that we can go to and say, Scripture definitely teaches this. Now, matters of opinion are much less um, easily defined, I guess. Yeah. And once we can figure out if it's a matter of opinion, we know how to handle it. But my question is, on the front end, how do we tell if something is a matter of opinion or a matter of doctrine? Because you can take every matter of opinion and spin it a certain way to where it becomes a salvation issue. Take uh, modest clothing, for example. I think we'd all agree that modest clothing is dependent upon the culture that you live in, for the most part. Um, And so the question is, let's say, for me, you know, it's no problem uh, to have my wife wear a pair of pants to church. But, you know, you rewind 50, 60 years ago into the past, 
You know, if I still have... It was scandalous. Yeah, that was a very scandalous thing to do. And you might say, well, it's not that big a deal. It's a matter of opinion. But for the people who lived 50 or 60 years ago, it was not for them. Mm -hmm. They're thinking, well, modesty is a doctrine. You have to be modest. And so my question is, how do we keep these matters of opinion from getting... Or do they get... Is there no way to really separate them from the matters of doctrine that usually go along with them? I think it can get really tricky sometimes. One thing we need to remember is this isn't a problem that only we have today. I mean, the reason we are reading Romans 14 and 15 is because they were having trouble sorting all of these things out Mm -hmm. back then. Now, they did not have the full 27 books of the New Testament at that time, but they had spiritual gifts and apostolic direction. Right. So... You know, we're about equal on what has been revealed, I'd like to think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is an opinion? An opinion, by definition, is... Well, I don't, I don't know exactly the best way to define it. An opinion is an idea that can't be backed up by facts. Right? You wouldn't say, it is my opinion that gravity is the reason we can stand on the ground. Yeah. You know, that, that's not an opinion. That's a fact. You have that's, nailed it. Uh, Webster's Dictionary. An opinion is a view or judgment formed about something not necessarily based on fact or knowledge. Wow. You okay. Yeah. So, see what happens sometimes? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, the facts, or the knowledge in this case, would be the objective truth of the gospel. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith is that which we can ascertain from God's revealed will. Mm -hmm. Opinion is that which has not been specified in God's will. Right. So you just gave a good example how exactly to dress. Now, what has the Bible said? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Or no, before that, in verse 9, I think. Women are told to dress modestly. Right. Um, or as the King James Version says, with shamefacedness or shamefacedness. Which is a word I do have to admit I wish were still in circulation today. Really? I mean, wouldn't it be great... Uh, to tell your daughter she's going out the door, are be you sure you are shamefaced. Shamefaced. <laughs> yeah. I'm not exactly sure. Shame. But that is a general command, right? We don't have any inches. You know, at, at my kids' school, they have a rule that your dress, your skirts have to be long enough that you can only get four fingers tops. Yeah. And from your kneecap up to, to measure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we don't have those kinds of instructions. At my kids' school, the boys have to wear belts and keep their shirts tucked in. Mm-hmm. That's not spelled out for us in the gospel. That was an opinion formed by the administration of the school. Yeah. And they were the ones with authority. And so their opinion is is the opinion of the school by virtue of their authority. Mm-hmm. So in a congregation, you'll have general commands and specific commands. Yeah. You know, a general command, obviously, is to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Yeah. Well, how do you? But how do you do that? The Lord did not tell us how to do that. You know, there, there are some things that we know we should say. We know the manner ought to be Christ-like. But, you know, it's all general. And yeah. so we have to sort that out. And that's a good thing because that is something that's tied into culture. Transportation, for example, or distribution of media, for example, has mm-hmm. changed with every new civilization. We're in an age now where we're using technologies to disseminate information that the you know the early Christians would have never imagined. Yeah. So you know we we have to make some decisions based on opinion. Um, yeah. I also I, think. You need a bit of common sense mm-hmm. because Paul uh, does this in First Corinthians eight. I'm sorry, I broke you off, but I oh, want no. to say no. this before I forgot it. That's 
<laughs> Usually when yeah. I interrupt somebody, it's not about them. It's about how quickly I forget my... I lose my train of thought. Yeah. Now, what were you talking about? Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so 1 Corinthians 8. Um, listen to how Paul works this out. Verse 4. As to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. So Paul takes a doctrine, there is no God but one, and he puts common sense on that doctrine to make an application. Yeah. An idol, since it's not God, there's only one God, and this idol is not the God. Yeah. Since there's only one God, an idol has no real existence. You see how he worked that out? Yeah. That was his opinion. Now, somebody else may come back and say, I understand you're working for Deuteronomy 6 4, and uh, you say there's only one God, and that can't be this mm-hmm. idol, therefore. But, Paul, you're, you're not thinking about it from this point of view. From my point of view, people are treating the idol as a God. And the practice of idolatry is where we got this meat. And maybe the meat isn't really contaminated by an actual demon or an actual false god because there's only one god and he wouldn't possess meat. Yeah. However, people think that. And so in my opinion, I believe mm-hmm. we need to stay away from it because of the influence. Yeah. And we hear that a lot in discussions of opinion. Yeah. That's- so that's how it works, you know, you get your you you formulate opinions through common sense and rationale and deduction of the scriptures. And as you said a while ago, I can't remember if you said it in the break or you said it on air, um, you know, or maybe I said it. Faith, matters of faith, come straight from the Word of God. Yeah. I think it's, I think a good way maybe to define it would be matters of, of doctrine, matters of salvation, those are the law. You know, those yeah. matters are matters of the law. So if you're arguing about a matter of doctrine, you're arguing about the text. You're arguing about um, the law that we have. But if you're arguing about a matter of opinion, you are then arguing about an assumption that you make based upon that law. And the problem so, with this is that everybody thinks they, their opinions are the law. Now, here's, here's... And it's easy to talk about like we are, but... Yeah. In practice, we realize that it's a lot more complicated on certain issues. Now, let me let me tell you what I'm thinking if I'm Paul here in 1 Corinthians 8. He writes, I mean, plainly writes in verse 4, As to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and there is no God but one. So it's okay to eat food offered to idols. Right. And so in my mind, that is a doctrinal truth. That there's no substance to an idol. So if I want to eat this food that's been offered to an idol, Scripture teaches that I can do so. And that is a doctrinal truth. He didn't carry it that far. Okay. He said, we know there's no God but one. And we know an idol has no real existence. But he didn't say, therefore... Everyone eat meat. Yeah. He just said... He does say in verse 8, food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we don't eat and no better off if we do. And then by the end of chapter 10, he's not eating meat at all. Okay, I think... For the sake of... Because another thing that Paul knows... We just took a section out of that. Another thing that Paul knows is that if if somebody in Corinth saw him eating meat, there may have been a leader there, an elder or somebody, mm-hmm. who's been teaching his congregation not to eat meat. Here comes Paul, a visitor, very mm-hmm. enlightened, an apostle, chowing down on a T-bone steak. Mm-hmm. And one of the members there may quit the church. Maybe a whole group will split the church or leave the church. And as we know, the people of Corinth had some strong opinions because there's a lot of jealousy and strife in that congregation. Yeah. So another fact that Paul has to add to the idea that there's one God and idol has no real existence 
is that a number of people raised in a Gentile world believe or they they believe that th- that meat can be contaminated by idol worship. Yeah, now I do like this in verse 9. He says, take care that this right of yours does not become a stumbling block to the weak. I think that's a good, a great way to look at it. You know from Scripture that you have the right to do it. But now, you don't maybe, always have to exercise your rights. Right. Maybe it's not a doctrinal command directly, hey, eat this meat. You know you have the right to eat it. But you Isn't don't necessarily this... have to exercise your right. And Paul says, I will never ex- exercise that right if it will make my brother stumble. Isn't this where he says all things are lawful, but not all things are... Yeah. Yes. Chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful. He's talking about meat. You can eat it. But not all things are helpful or expedient. So your rights don't have to be exercised in every situation. Right. I mean, in America, the uh, first item on the Bill of Rights is the freedom of speech. But there are a lot of places where I keep my mouth shut, even when I have an opinion about what's going on, out of respect for what's what the overall thing's going on, you know, my kid's school, you know, there's some opinions that I have about that, and I have every right to voice those opinions, mm-hmm. but I may come off wrong, I may not have the time to make the case or the relationship to make the case, yeah. so I keep my mouth shut. Yeah. And I keep my mouth shut on things that go on in this church mm-hmm. that are perfectly okay Mm-hmm. but maybe not the best, in my opinion. Yeah. So I have the right to voice that, but for the sake of unity and love, which are more important than my opinion, I'll let it go. Yeah. Some really good stuff here, definitely. Uh, as we come back in our final section to apply, we want to get into specific issues that we can talk about as matters of opinion uh, but before we move oh, we're on... we're going to do that? Oh, I thought we were. <laughs> That'll be we fine. Well, do you want to talk fine. about I'm it just... now or later? No, no, no. Um, I'm not ready to move on yet. I wanted to say something else. Oh, you're not? Okay. I want to say this to everybody who's listening and rolling his eyes right now. Look, I know that it's easy to say matters of faith are self-evident, matters of opinion are self-evident. But when you get into practice, the opinion often has to do with which is faith and which is opinion. So we struggle through this. And some of us belong in the category of the strong and some of us belong in the category of the weak. And I don't think Paul's point here is categorize opinions and faith so that you can know where your battles are to be fought. Paul's overall point here is simply that unity among Christians is very important to God. Not everybody's going to think the same way that you think. The mature, spiritual, strong people in the faith are going to have to pick up the extra baggage that comes along with scruples in the church. That's that's what this is about. Right. It's not it's not about sorting those things out. Every congregation has to do that for itself. Mm-hmm. That's why you need a good preacher and teachers and elders who have taken the time for what is called by the apostles in Acts 6 verse 4, the ministry of the word, the mm-hmm. service of the word. So anyway, I wanted to say that so that yeah, and I think people don't think that we're sitting back here thinking we've got, you know, we got it all categorized out and we know all the answers. Yeah, exactly. That's the point here is to be able to unify, and I think that speaks a lot to uh, congregational fellowship or fellowship between different congregations. You know, I don't know that there's anything more divisive than matters of opinion, to be honest. Now, obviously, matters of doctrine are very divisive. If you disagree on the doctrine, then you're not going to have anything to do with, uh, you know, I guess you're going to be careful about how you associate with other groups if they believe different doctrines are true from the New Testament, but also we are guilty of being very I don't know what the right word is here, maybe you can help me out Uh, we don't like to mingle with other groups that have different matters of opinion from us. Well that would be judgmental that would be 
what Paul told the weak not to do, pass judgment well, you think over a about, matter of opinion. Well, let me, let me just paint this picture. And we might go back and cut this out. But I wonder in how many areas across the United States you have groups of the church who don't associate with one another. They don't go to each other's events. I'm the, as a youth minister, I'm just thinking of area-wides here. So I'll just go ahead and come out with it. But you've got an area yeah. where you won't go to certain area-wides. You won't do this or that, and you can't go do this or that because everybody's going to raise their eyebrows when the problems are not over matters of doctrine, but they're over matters of opinion. And so I think it's, and this is probably more of an apply question or an apply thought to tackle, but we do need to be careful about not judging the the groups that might have a different opinion than us on matters of opinion. But then also on the flip side, if we are if we are the group that doesn't think there's anything wrong, let's just use Bible class as an example. This is one of the things that causes a division, and it's a very real division. There are congregations that say we believe it's wrong to have Bible class, an organized Bible class before worship, or that it's wrong to have a place to eat at the church. And so oftentimes they will not step foot in the door of a building that has a fellowship hall because they are passing judgment on those that do. Now, on the flip side, those of us that go to a congregation with a fellowship hall, how often do we look down our nose and say, well, those people over there, you know, they won't even let you have a fellowship hall. And that's just one issue, but there's issues on every end of the spectrum, and odds are, no matter what congregation you're a part of, you are, you've got a congregation that is uh, on the other side of a matter opinion of you on the more conservative side and another that's on the more I have the right to do this so I'm going to do it kind of side and I think it's a huge I don't know um, that there are any other like contemporary issues that um, we have more similar to the New Testament times than this whole idea of matters of opinion and matters of doctrine mm-hmm. dividing the church. Yeah. Uh, still divides the church and all these things. We've just got to be very careful. No, it's hard. There's a, there's a, there is a lot of, of information about differences of opinion within a congregation. I wish we had more inter-congregational stuff yeah. in the New Testament about unity among all the churches. Mm-hmm. Um. I feel like the reason we don't have more is because churches were spread out far and few between. Yeah. So, you know, the idea of Corinth and Macedonia having an area-wide youth devotional just didn't happen. Yeah, out of the question. Yeah, transportation was difficult, and these churches were a long ways apart. Now, you do see them cooperating, the churches of Achaia and Macedonia, Mm -hmm cooperating together to help out the churches in Judea. But none of this, you know, trying to line up opinions across all the churches. There, There is one thing, though, that, that I need to mention for those folks who may be listening and thinking that we ought not treat the New Testament as a pattern to get our faith, or matters of faith. Um, between these congregations... There was uniformity of belief in a in a body of inspired work. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul tells the church at Corinth, This is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Mm-hmm. So, Andrew is not saying that depending on where you live and your personal opinions, your church may look very, very different from the last church. Right, yeah. Um, one church may look different from another. Now, as far There's going to be differences, but yeah. there are matters of faith that need to be uniform all across the globe. Yeah, the, the differences I'm talking about are, well, at this congregation, everybody wears a tie and a coat, and at this congregation... Everybody yeah. wears shorts. You're and using a some really safe examples. I mean, yeah. we could bring, and I don't want to, but we could bring in other examples that are more controversial. Children's that you Church and I, is one of them. 
Yeah, well, uh, I said we're not going to. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we but, won't you know, dive some things into that, them, just that, to give the examples, though. Some things that you and I believe are matters of opinion, and maybe other people in our own church or in, in other churches believe firmly are matters of faith, and that's where yeah. the complication gets in, which we're right. talking in circles here. I think we've already said this. Yeah. But, you know, what is a matter of faith? What is a matter of opinion? It doesn't change. The fact that we disagree on faith and opinion and what is faith and what is opinion does not change the fact that there are matters of faith and matters of opinion right. and that matters of faith are defined by the New Testament and matters of opinion are under the umbrella of general commands. Last, Can I ask you one more question before we move on? Yeah. And if you want to save it for the next section, we can. No, let's, let's go. Let's say you and I are at odds over something that you think is a matter of opinion but I think is a matter of doctrine how do we how do we ultimately settle the dispute or can we even settle um, it arm wrestling arm wrestling maybe <laughs> not today I threw uh, my back out I can't even I can hardly move uh, you know, within a church, study the Bible. Yeah. Have conversations with each other. Trust that the Bible is inspired and the answer is there. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, one of one of the two, if there's still a difference of opinion, and it really is an opinion, then the stronger one must take the high road. Yeah. And I don't think our strong brethren think about that enough. They don't want to take the high road. I I do know that. But here's Paul going vegetarian because of weak brethren. Yeah. We need to work on that attitude. Now that is a soapbox that I like to get on and talk about. If I mean Paul, if he's even willing to change something so fundamental to his life as what he eats. And we're not talking about, you know, we often use this with alcohol. We're not talking about, yeah, I'm just going to forego my glass of wine that I want to drink every now and then because of, you know, the influence or whatever. Paul is saying, I'm not even going to eat meat if yeah. it's going to make people stumble. So, I mean, that that changes your diet drastically. Willing to change something even that you know, he says that we're no better if we eat meat and we're not any worse off if we don't eat it. Or, But he's still willing to give up his right to do even just eating food for the benefit of his brothers and sisters. And I wonder with things like all these difficult issues that we have, difficult issues like clapping, difficult issues like uh, maybe raising your hands and uh, difficult issues like having a praise team up on a stage with microphones, issues like children's church, all these kinds of issues. If we had, well, I have the right to do this, but for the sake of the unity of the body of Christ, maybe now is not the right time to push it. Mm-hmm. I don't hear that much, at least among our brethren. I hear I have the right to do this. I'm going to take right. these people with me, and we're going to go do it. And I don't care what they think. Yeah. Right. Um. So that's the really the lesson that Andrew and I want to get across more than any of the other things is why why are we so stubborn and so disinterested in the unity of the church and our brother or sister why don't we think a little bit more about acting like Paul and giving some things up for the sake of a sensitive brother or sister in Christ. Um, I think we need to think about that. But for now, we need to take a little break. When we come back, we'll have some more to talk about. share with you just uh, six, seven good lessons that we can gather from Romans 14, 15, and 16. Number one, here's here's the first one. 
Whether one lives or dies, he should keep the honor of the Lord in mind. This is chapter 14, verses 7 and 8, which say, uh, None of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. I've been guilty of taking that passage out of context, by the way. I remember when I was preaching a meeting one time, and a visiting preacher was there, older man, and I was I was supposed to speak on the subject of influence. Mm-hmm. And so I just proof-texted Romans 14, 7. Hey, you need to know that you have influence. None of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. In other words, mm-hmm. our attitudes and actions affect the attitudes and actions of other people. Yeah. And uh, he came up to me, and he said, Do you realize what the rest of that chapter is about? And I said, Yeah. And he pointed out to me that we're not doing this to ourselves because we're living and dying for the glory of Jesus Christ and the honor mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. It doesn't have anything to do with your peers influence, yeah. or your influence. I mean, the the lesson is true. Everybody has influence, but that's not what Romans fourteen seven is about. Here's the second lesson. Love is the guiding principle. When you don't know what to do, follow love. Chapter 14, verse 15. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. That's Paul's rationale. If you're if you're doing something that is not loving but is hated, hating, you're doing the wrong thing. Yeah. You're not looking after your brother or sister in Christ. This brings to mind Matthew 18, uh, verses 5 and 6 to me. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be greater for him to have a millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the sea. And he's talking there about uh, considering, you know, the other people that believe, you know, these other little ones in the kingdom. And what, I, I, I don't, I guess I just don't really understand how much you would have to dislike a person to knowingly do something that will break their conscience in this manner. You know, if you know somebody has a problem with eating, uh, say, just eating a McDonald's hamburger or something totally goofy mm-hmm. so we don't get anybody too upset to hear the the uh, lesson here, uh, why on earth would you order a McDonald's hamburger or eat it in front of them? Just to say, you know, well, I can. I know I can. I'm going to do it, and you just got to deal with it. What are they doing at McDonald's? I don't know. They're not being healthy. <laughs> I know that. But no, I'm asking this person opposed to McDonald's. I'm picturing this. Why yeah. are they in McDonald's? No, I don't I'm know. Just messing I mean, this is not a perfect illustration. And you're saying this, and I'm feeling a little guilty because uh, I used to meet with a friend for lunch on a regular basis. <laughs> he was a vegetarian, and oh, I knew that. And I always ordered meat in well, front of him. But well, I asked him if like, it was okay. He wasn't like, if you eat meat, you're not saved, right? No, he just said that yeah. animals are self-aware. Oh. And uh, he had some some of those things. Okay. And now I'm thinking, of course, that wasn't <laughs> a Christian doctrine issue. Yeah, that's more along the lines of what I'm thinking of here. I mean, just, we we do not have the right, we might have the right to, to do some of these things or matters of opinion, but we do not have the right uh, to do them and breach someone else's conscience. We right. do not have the right to make someone else to stumble. And Jesus says, it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea mm-hmm. rather than to make someone stumble. So if someone has a problem with you drinking, don't drink because you're going to make them stumble. And mm-hmm. we have the, it's better for you to do this than that statement mm-hmm. from Jesus. Well, the next lesson is very similar to the last one on love. Number three, the soul is the most important thing. comes from the same verse, verse 15. I mean, we should be more worried about the soul. And so Jesus says, By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Yeah. I should have saved my destroy snippet for mean, this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's better destroy this means uh, not annihilation, but ruin. Yeah. Don't ruin this person. Right. He'll still be walking around, but he not might not be a practicing Christian any longer. Yeah. He may be in a deep discouragement or depression. 
It's just not worth so it. So it's not it, exactly. It's not worth it. Number four, weightier matters of the kingdom are more important. Look at verse seventeen. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those are the top priorities. It reminds me of Matthew twenty three twenty three, when Paul uh, Paul Jesus criticized the Pharisees for tithing their mint and cumin, yeah. uh, herbs in their garden, but forgetting about justice and faithfulness and mercy yeah. and love. And uh, so that's that's the most important thing. Love, uh, joy in the Holy Spirit, peace, which leads us to number five. Pursue which makes that which makes for peace. Pursue peace. Uh, verse 19 says, So then... Let us pursue which make. Why do I keep saying which? Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Chase after peace. Go the extra mile for peace. Initiate yeah. peace. Be a peacemaker, and if you're not notice, a peacebreaker. These are all great guidelines for dealing with matters of opinion, too. <laughs> yeah. So if you're struggling with how do I handle, you know, my disagreement with so and so. Mm-hmm. This list of applications that you're going through is a great way to keep you on track to do the uh, the righteous thing. Right. It'd be a good list to frame and put in an elder's office. Yeah. Or a counselor's office. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to go over it again and again and again until it becomes second nature. Uh, number six, we should try to please our neighbor for his good. You see the emphasis on the other person? Chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 say, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Don't please yourself. Please your neighbor. Mm -hmm. That's not what we usually think whenever we're in a disagreement with somebody. Last lesson. We should learn to live in harmony. Verse 5 May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. It's one of Paul's last prayers in this letter. May God grant you what you need to be harmonious and live in harmony with your brother for whom Christ died. Uh, so there's a lot in here on priorities. Yeah. We're, we've been saying the main theme is opinion. We haven't been saying that much, but... We may need to think of it the other way that this is a lot of this has to do with love, yeah, and uh, harmony, unity. Yeah, if your attitude is correct going into any kind of disagreement, then you can expect a or if both parties have a, the proper attitude going to a disagreement like this, you can expect a positive result. Yeah. So, what did you think about Romans? I loved it. We're finished with it. I really enjoyed studying it. Um, I feel like we say this at the end of all of them, but you know, yeah. this is. I mean, we don't want to take a book of the Bible and say, "Boy, that was lousy." You know, we're <laughs> yeah, never going to do that, and we don't think that. But, <laughs> but they pre- are different. Books I'd, are different. Now, I really do like um, studying Paul's letters, um, just because they're, in a lot of cases, they're very neatly laid out and easy to study. So maybe that's why I like them, because in some respects, they're easier to study. Now, a lot of the um, a lot of the text in and of itself is very dense and difficult. Yeah, and that was a challenge in podcasting this one. Yeah, Romans, you know, I feel like we're going to look at this again in another few months and feel like we didn't get nearly deep enough into it. But I also feel like we could have had a three-hour-long episode on every chapter. We could have, gotten yeah. to the end. And if you've ever seen a Romans commentary in the flesh, yeah. they're pretty they're pretty big. There's, There's a, one out there that's three volumes. Yeah, well, I was using the part one and part two. Um, there are part one and part two yeah. in the True for Today's. Uh, yeah, there it is. It divides up one to seven and eight to 16. So, I mean, most people give two books to it, and we're trying to cover, you know, this in, what do I think Six, our goal seven was? episodes. Yeah. Know. So um, we're sorry if we didn't get deep enough yeah, into some of the things you I kind of have that feeling, into. too, about Romans. Uh, I feel like we didn't do as good a job on this one as we did on Jeremiah. 
Mm-hmm. And I would have thought it would have been the reverse because I know I've taught I've taught Romans in a preacher training school a couple of times. I've taught mm-hmm. Romans here at the church at least twice. Mm-hmm. Scores of sermons preached out of it. I've read it, enjoyed it. You know, I've, and maybe that was the difference between this and Jeremiah is I didn't feel confident in the Jeremiah, so I was digging before mm-hmm. the podcast a lot more. And with this, I you know was relying on work that I've done yeah. in the past and ideas that I've formulated in the past. But uh, it, it it was kind of hard to even though it's very structured. It was hard sometimes to organize those readings. Well, because there's, there's so many different ways you could organize them. Mm. I think there's a lot of... One of the ways I like to organize is to look for a key term yeah. throughout the... Like my, the key what, term what's the key I, term here? The one I followed for this one was welcome. Uh, because he starts yeah. off in 14 verse 1 saying welcome him. Mm-hmm. And he says God, or don't uh, despise them because God has welcomed them. And welcome is used several times even all the way into 15. Or a few times, um, so you can follow it. You know, you can follow it based on the weak and the strong and the lessons they both get, or you can follow it in terms of who's welcoming who and how you welcome them, mm-hmm. and you know, without judging, without despising. Uh, and that was a you know an issue we ran into really for the whole letter. Uh, you know, yeah. our main outline. I will remind us again of the the main outline from the Book of Romans. If you can remember. The righteous shall live by faith. You can remember what Paul's letter to the Romans is really about. Um, I mean, it's a very general statement, but we we said. Well, you the, had to turn around. The righteous by faith yeah. shall live. Yeah, we had to break it up. Um, we had to do the Yoda speak with yeah. it to get it to work. Yeah. But there's the introduction, and then there's the explanation of who is righteous, which obviously we know the conclusion of that is. No one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of, gl- of glory of God. I'm talking too fast now. Uh, and then the second section we have by faith. And this is where Paul discusses justification by faith, starting off in chapter four with the example of Abraham, and moving forward all the way to explain how it is that we are justified by faith and not by works. And then finally, the final section, the practical section, is what we called the shall live so the righteous by faith part three shall live and we got into christian living and then there's the conclusion at the end of the book mm-hmm. so it's a, a an easy outline to remember so for the sake of memorization uh that's the outline we went with now there are a lot of other ways you can outline romans uh with different goals in mind but our goal for this outline was to give our listeners a working outline that you can keep in your head and that will be easy yeah. for you to remember and uh, to use that as you go forward in your study in the book of Romans. If we left anything out, please send us a comment or an email. Uh, you can find us all over the internet. Uh, if you type it into Google, it'll come up. The 66 podcast, 66 is a number. Our website is the 66.net. 66, again, is a number there. We're on Facebook and we are on Twitter. Do you have any other comments you want to make about the book? I, I kind of just got to. No, wrap we've got up there to. Without. We got to sit down and decide what we're going to do next. And if you have a suggestion, yeah, if you have a suggestion for the next book, you can send that in to us. It'd be great. Over the next few days, assuming that you're listening to this right after we record it, um, you know, send us. We will listen to your input. Yeah. Send it. Maybe you're getting ready to teach a class next quarter at your church, or you. You, you know, maybe we got some preachers listening that would like a sermon series on something, and you want something to listen as a resource. We'd love to to do that yeah. for you. Um, this is really going to be a, putting it out there to see if anybody is really listening. But yeah, and if you email do us, listen, oh, sorry, you go. Yeah, ahead. I was going to say email us or tweet your suggestion. Yeah, and be open you, to it. If you do listen, and you know folks that are teaching Bible classes. Uh, you know, let them know about our podcast because what we, our goal, really, what we're designed to do is to help folks out, uh, yeah. give them something because everybody rides in their car for a considerable amount of time each day. You can download the podcast, plug it in, and by the end of the week, you have essentially read a commentary on whatever chapters you're trying to cover in your class 
for the you right? know, for the week. Hey, so. I did that for one of my own sermon series just a <laughs> few weeks ago. I, I was yeah. listening to some of our early work on Ezra to yeah. remember what I said about that book. So that would be great to get that kind of feedback. Maybe maybe we can get it. We'll probably want to get started on a new project no later than two weeks. I, I'd love to be able to do it next week because oh, yeah. time is of the essence when you have 66 books to mm-hmm. cover. But anyway, send us send us your feedback if you have any. Uh, it doesn't have to be about the next book. It could just be a good feedback, positive or negative. It doesn't matter to us. We just like to know that somebody's out there listening And we're so grateful for those of you who continue to listen. You come up and tell us that you appreciate the show, and uh, that that makes us feel good. So hang hang on and get ready for the announcement. We'll probably tweet it out, the next book we're going to do. And until then, take care.